So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, entitled, Christ, the Wisdom and Power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. <clears throat> Jesus de Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for giving us your word and we pray that now by your word and spirit that you would be uh, reshaping our minds and our hearts, that we would be those who trust only in Jesus and boast only in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was at a Christian meeting once where we listened to a, a preacher uh, preach a sermon or two and Afterwards, over coffee, I spoke to another guy and I asked him uh, what he thought of the, of, of the talks. And his instinctive response to me was, wasn't he great? Yeah, I, I sort of felt a bit uncomfortable about that, so I <clears throat> changed the conversation to talk about the content, about what the message that the, the preacher had uh, brought to us, what he'd said. But it's understandable, isn't it? Because the, the message does come through a person uh, who, by definition, has a personality. And uh, if the preacher has been faithful, uh, clear and engaging, then uh, there's no wonder that uh, it's only natural for us to appreciate them, uh, especially when we feel that we, we know the person because they've uh, been open and disclosed something of themselves to us. Uh, there are preachers who I especially appreciate and who I'll encourage others to listen to. However, there can be a fine line 
uh, where we start to value the preacher just a little bit more than, than the message or the, the person whom the message is about. And uh, at its extreme, we can even uh, start to treat the preacher uh, as with some kind of a celebrity status. Sometimes it's a slippery slope into thinking that it's the preacher's persona or even something worldly about a church which has the power to draw people to God and so that we end up mimicking the world so as to impress the world. Now that was kind of the problem, one of the problems in the church in Corinth. Uh, we saw last week that the Christians there were evaluating their preachers according to the sophistication of their wisdom and the polish of their presentation and because that's how the Greeks uh, rated their itinerant philosophers, the professional orators who would roll into town and set up their <clears throat> soapbox or whatever and speak wisdom uh, to the crowds for the sake of entertainment and, and profit. That was their business. That's what they, how they made money. And so the, the Christians in Corinth were, they were kind of dividing over and they were boasting about and boasting in their favourite Christian preachers. And, and you, can, you can see how the boasting happens, particularly because sometimes we might even think that other Christians might think more highly of us if we're associated with a particular uh, well-known or, or famous preacher. But there's something strange about it. Because by the values of the world, biblical Christianity is actually very unimpressive. Now, in today's passage, uh, Paul says that the, the gospel is an unimpressive message believed by unimpressive people uh, who have heard it from an unimpressive apostle. Uh, why would Paul say that? You expect the non-Christians to talk down the gospel, to talk down the church, to talk down the apostles, uh, but you don't expect Paul to do it. Why would he say this? Well, let's dive into the passage, shall we? Has everyone got their Bibles open at 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Great. Now, Paul's first point is that the message of the cross is unimpressive. It's an unimpressive message. And we see that in verses 18 to 25, but I just want to zoom in on verses 22 to 23 for the time being, for at the moment. Uh, and in verses 22 to 23, it reads, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, Jews, we're told, demand signs. I can kind of understand that because throughout their history, uh, God has done some pretty amazing miracles for them, hasn't he? <laughs> Think, you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea, spectacular stuff. But it seems that what they're saying here is that they actually, they've got into the mindset where if they're going to believe God, then God has to present his credentials. He's got to do something spectacular, something even more spectacular than raising Jesus from the dead. So Jews demand signs and Greeks, well, they look for wisdom. 
And again, we can understand why. Uh, in the, the word philosophy means uh, to love wisdom. Uh, uh, philos, love, and sophos, uh, wisdom. And, and Greece was the home to all of that, wasn't it? Greece was the, the home of, of the great uh, philosophers of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and others. I always love that uh, classic line in that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Remember the line where the, the father-in-law says, there's only two types of people in the world. There's those who are Greeks and those who want to be Greeks. <laughs> you know, that was a Greek view of life because you know, philosophy and Western, so much of Western civilization uh, originates with the Greeks. And so the Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we, says Paul, we preach Christ crucified. Now, to both uh, to Jewish minds and also to Greek minds, uh, the, the phrase Christ crucified, it's actually a, it's a contradiction of terms. Uh, you can have Christ or you can have crucified, but you can't have the two together. Because Christ, um, you know, anointed one, that, that implies power, splendour and victory. Crucified implies uh, weakness, uh, humiliation and defeat. So the two don't belong together in the same phrase, do they? Christ crucified. And that's why Paul says that Christ crucified is actually a stumbling block to the Jews. Yeah, let me explain that. The, the, the word stumbling block literally means scandal. And, and I think that that captures the sense a bit better actually, that, uh, that it, it is a scandal to the Jews. Jews didn't crucify people. Romans did that. Uh, but Jews, if they did execute someone, they would do so through stoning them. If they executed someone by stoning them because of blasphemy or idolatry, uh, their body would then be hung from a tree. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, it says, Cursed is anyone who's, who is hung from a tree. person hanging from a tree, body hanging from a tree, well, that person is cursed by God. And so... To the Jew, this message that God's king, the Christ, would, be, would die hanging from a wooden cross, that's a scandal. That's an outrage. How dare somebody say that? Whereas for the Greek, to, to claim that ultimate reality is found in Christ crucified, well... That's not just simplistic thinking. It's not even the case that, well, the person who says that, that their philosophy isn't just quite sophisticated enough. Uh, that's actually... The word that is translated there as foolishness is the Greek word from which we get the word moron from. You get the idea, don't you? That's moronic. That's crazy stuff. That's the stuff of, you know, someone... You know, what planet are they living on to think that? And we need to feel the depth of this. We need to understand this. If we are to understand how the message of the gospel was perceived in the ancient world, 
we need to understand the depth of this, this feeling, that it was a scandal to Jews and it was moronic to the Greeks. But Paul's point in verse 25 is that God's foolishness is actually wiser than man's wisdom. And God's weakness is in fact stronger than man's strength. And what he does here is he compares the outcome of, of man's wisdom on the one hand uh, to the outcome of God's foolishness on the other. Let's think about man's wisdom for a few moments, shall we? Let's say uh, God was to ask you and me uh, what he should do to make himself known to men and to save humanity. You know, that he was to consult us on that question. I reckon we'd come up with a different plan, don't you? I mean, we might advise God <clears throat> that he, he needs to do some more spectacular and indisputable miracles so that ordinary people can see that he is actually real. And we might want him to do something about his message as well. Uh, you know, come up with, devise a message which both impresses the academics and also the marketing people. That way we can get everyone on board to believe in God and to change the world. And yet in verse 20, Paul asks the question, where is the wise person? And he, I think he elaborates and he explains that because from the Jews, his next question is, where is the teacher of the law? And from the Greeks, where is the philosopher? And he reminds the Corinthians that the world, through all of its wisdom, all of its knowledge, all of its understanding, was actually unable to know God. Because any God that we would dream up would just be a larger version of ourselves uh, with all of our fallenness uh, and all of our pride as well. Some time ago, uh, there was a member of our church here uh, who was a Freemason. I don't know if you know anything about Freemasonry or not. It's sort of going a little bit out of fashion. But the motto of Freemasonry is making good men better. That's their motto. You, in order to belong, you actually have to have references from other people to say that you are a person of high moral quality. And it's a religion. They would deny that, but it is. It's a religion. When I told this man about Christ dying for his sins, uh, that was a scandal to him. Uh, he, said, I, I would, he said, I would prefer to pay for my own sins because that's what good men do. Now, I mention that because it's really just a snapshot of, um, a snapshot of, of human wisdom. Uh, of so many man-made religions uh, where the way to God is, is through self. Uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, which leads to pride because you think you can do it or despair 
uh, if you can't. But what philosopher in their right mind would dream up the idea of Christ crucified? What philosopher who's thinking straight would, would come up with this concept of a God who showers his, his kindness, showers his mercy, showers his love, showers his blessing on the undeserving of the evil, the sinful? I mean, what foolishness is this? Well, in verse 18, Paul reminds the Corinthians, well, that is the foolishness by which God powerfully saves. And he uses that to save them. That's how they became Christians. <laughs> That's how they got to know the God of the universe. And so why then are they so hung up on human philosophy and evaluating people according to the norms of human philosophy? And, and particular people. You know, why are they having these disputes about which preacher's the most impressive? In verses 26 to 31, Paul reminds them of how unimpressive they are. He holds a mirror up to their face and he says, have a look at yourselves, will you? Let's have a look at that. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now, there may actually have been some um, wise, uh, strong, uh, noble people in the church there. We know that there were some who had households. Uh, and Paul's not saying that there was no one. Uh, but mostly, he says, you're pretty ordinary, aren't you? Uh, mostly, even even below par. And that was a, a common feature in the early churches. Uh, in fact, um, <clears throat> listen to what one Greek philosopher uh, wrote about Christians, not, not, not at Paul's time, but about a hundred years later. A uh, Greek philosopher, and his name was Celsus. This is what he wrote about Christians. And this is what he He's saying that this is what Christians say. He says this, he says, Their injunctions are like this. Let no one educated, no one wise, no one sensible draw near, for these abilities are thought by us to be evils. But as for anyone ignorant, anyone stupid, anyone uneducated, Anyone who is a child will let him come boldly. By the fact, he says, that they themselves admit that these people are worthy of their God. They show that they want and are able to convince only the foolish, dishonourable and stupid. 
and only slaves, women and children. End of quote. How does that make you feel? Pretty good about yourselves? It's actually, it's, it's not an accurate description of the demography of every church. <laughs> um, I mean, three years ago when we did the National Church Life Survey here in church, the uh, percentage of us holding university degrees was well more than double uh, the percentage in our community. And it's, there's reasons for that, which for another time, it's not a boast. Uh, it's just saying that Christians are not all uneducated. <laughs> but the Corinthian Christians, they were not especially flash, were they? And it's Paul. It's not a Greek philosopher who's a critic making it. It's Paul making the point. And he's not making the point just for sociological reasons. He's making the point for theological reasons. You see, what that Greek philosopher saw as being the shame of the church is actually something very glorious, something very beautiful. Because just as God chose the foolishness of the cross, he also chooses the nobodies of the world. Uh, I knew a man who was uh, studying, young man who was studying to be a lawyer, and uh, he was involved in a uh, motor vehicle accident uh, and he lost a considerable amount of his ability to think. Um, you know, that is, he became brain damaged. Dreadful, terrible thing. But uh, God, by his spirit, worked in Fred's life so that uh, over time Fred came to know, love and trust Jesus. And I often thought about his situation, that um, uh, it was, was terrible, it was awful. But his situation in life was actually far better than the smartest, uh, most powerful, um, most wealthy lawyer, someone who might be a senior partner in a major firm, who's got all of that but doesn't know Jesus. Because Fred actually had God's wisdom given to him. Have a look at verse 30. In verse 30, Paul says, It is because of him, that is, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What is wisdom from God? Wisdom from God is that which, which makes us the people that we were created to be. Wisdom from God is that wisdom that means that we are in relationship with the God who made the universe. And the only way we have that is through Christ. And these things that he points out here, righteousness, holiness and redemption, they're not, they're not just three different things, they're, they're three different aspects of that reality that it is only because of Christ crucified that we, we've been made right with God. 
It is only because of Christ crucified that we are holy, that is, that we are set apart for God's purposes. It is only because of Christ crucified that we have been redeemed, that we now belong to the God who is ultimate reality. Why would God choose the nobodies of the world? The Freds, uh, the, the little children, the poor, even the, the Corinthians. There's a, a hymn which goes, Nothing uh, in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And I think that sums it up, that there is nothing in us it's all in Christ and what he has done. And that confounds the wise and the, and the strong and the beautiful people of the world. They're just... Because it's not about that. It's not about us. It's only ever about Jesus. An unimpressive message believed by unimpressive people and in the first five verses of chapter 2... Uh, who heard it from an unimpressive apostle. Let's read that, shall we? When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now here, Paul reminds the Corinthians what he was like when he visited them, when he first brought the gospel to Corinth. I remember once, uh, once I stayed in a hotel in a, in a big city, uh, when there was a business, a, a huge business leadership conference was taking place inside that hotel. Uh, and I felt very, very insignificant because the place was literally filled with, with all, every other guest in the place looked super confident. Uh, every one of them, I reckon, could have run for president of the United States. But that's not Paul. That's not Paul. When he came to Corinth, he came in weakness, great fear, and trem nothing, nothing impressive about that. Uh, why was he like that, by the way? Well, he was like that because he feared for his life. Uh, he, <laughs> he knew what this scandalous and moronic message, the effect that it has on some people. He had just been uh, ran out of... Uh, town in Thessalonica and in, in Acts chapter 18 when he, when he was in Corinth uh, he was scared, he was so scared that God had to speak to him especially in a dream and say to him Paul do not be afraid because I'm not going to let anyone harm you in this city now for God to have to do that uh, this man is, is fearful, this man is afraid it's normal humanity, isn't it? Now, secondly, the Apostle Paul was highly educated. 
and he was very eloquent. Uh, Paul wrote half the books of the New Testament uh, and he wrote, the letter of 1 Corinthians is just an astonishing uh, letter. This very passage we're looking at is, is profound that Paul has written. Paul could have matched it with the philosophers if he wanted to. Paul could have impressed lots of people with his knowledge if he wanted to. But he just wasn't playing their game. In verse 2, we're told that he says that, that I resolved, that is, I made up my mind, uh, I put all of this other knowledge and abilities out of I made up my mind to know nothing except one thing, Christ crucified. Now, imagine if Paul's message and his preaching style were designed to impress people, that they would think highly of Paul. Imagine that. Oh, we could probably do it here if we wanted to. How would we do that? Well, by preaching a feel-good message. Uh, and only, uh, only uh, teaching parts of the Bible which conform to the philosophies of this age. Anything in the Bible that doesn't conform with contemporary thinking, with what all the smart people in Australian society are saying these days, anything in the Bible that doesn't conform with that, we just wouldn't preach it just discard it we do that downplaying sin judgment and ultimately Christ crucified or we could just create an ambience uh, in church which just makes it easier for people to respond by manipulating people but what would our faith be in human wisdom, experience, maybe even the preacher himself. Now, Paul's message and his preaching were not designed to impress the Corinthians, but to save them from sin and judgment to a new life in Christ. So that in verse 5, in verse 5, where he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The demonstration of the Spirit's power, it's not some spectacular miracle that he was doing, that would actually contradict the whole passage. The demonstration of the Spirit's power is them unimpressive people saved by an unimpressive message through an unimpressive apostle that's the demonstration of the spirit's power so that all glory only ever goes to god and so therefore it shows to us how absurd it is for us as christians to to boast in ourselves or even to boast in our leaders, our only boast is ever to be in the Lord 
and in what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we are humbled by this passage as it strips away our pride and arrogance and our self-reliance and help us to understand how your foolishness is greater than any of our wisdom, that your weakness is greater than any of our strength because through Christ's dying on the cross that sin has been dealt with. And we pray that we would only ever glorify in you. In Jesus' name, amen.